0: This is Gulf Coast Life from WGCU. I'm John Davis. Thanks for joining us. Back in January, Governor Ron DeSantis issued an executive order calling for continued historic investments in Everglades restoration and water resource protection endeavors. The executive order came four years to the day after DeSantis signed an executive order, his first major action after becoming governor, to allocate $2.5 billion over four years for Everglades restoration and water resource protection. The state far surpassed that goal with more than $3.3 billion in state funding, This past January's executive order also called on the Florida Departments of Environmental Protection and Economic Opportunity to work together with local governments to, quote, improve local government long-term comprehensive planning that ensures sustainable growth while protecting our natural resources, end quote. That may have seemed like a good sign for how issues concerning the environment and smart growth planning would fare in this year's annual legislative session, but Maybe that's not the case. After the end of the session in May, some lawmakers even touted the results. A budget that includes $850 million for the Florida Wildlife Corridor, $200 million for hiking and biking trails to the Corridor, $100 million for the Rural Family Lands Protection Program, which protects agricultural land from development, nearly $547 million for Everglades restoration, $300 million to plan for sea level rise, $12.8 million to combat harmful algal blooms, and $50 million to protect Florida's iconic springs. Still, environmental advocacy groups are sounding the alarm about how legislative measures passed this year could adversely impact Florida for years to come. Overall, the Sierra club's legislative scorecard gave this year's session a grade of F. In late May, Governor DeSantis signed into law SB 540, which has been dubbed the sprawl bill by some critics. When the law takes effect this Saturday, it will require citizens who challenge a local comprehensive plan amendment to pay the legal fees of their opponents if they lose their suit, effectively ending citizen challenges to questionable development proposals. Lawmakers also tucked an item into the state budget proposal that prevents local governments from making any changes to fertilizer protections. That means that counties, towns, and cities who already have seasonal fertilizer ordinances on the books to help prevent nutrient-laden stormwater runoff from feeding toxic algae blooms are no longer allowed to make any changes to those ordinances. And local municipalities that don't have a fertilizer ordinance on the books already won't be allowed to adopt one. Joining me now for a broader look at how issues concerning smart growth planning and the environment fared in this year's state legislative session is Jane West. She's an attorney and policy and planning director for the state's leading nonprofit smart growth advocacy organization, 1000 Friends of Florida. Her work involves providing guidance to communities on critical growth and development issues, advocating before the Florida legislature, and coordinating 1,000 Friends of Florida's legal advocacy efforts related to growth management. The bulk of her caseload tends to involve land use litigation in circuit court and the Florida Division of Administrative Hearings, as well as federal litigation. Jane West, welcome to Gulf Coast Life. Thanks for taking the time to share your expertise and your insights with our listeners.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: To engage with us and your fellow listeners about this conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. On Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. Jane West, let's jump right in with what will likely be the main course of this conversation and talk about DeSantis signing SB 540. I talked a bit about it in my introduction just now, but can you give me something of a primer on how, what local comprehensive plans actually are, how and why they're amended over time, and what this new law will do in terms of citizens' voices in this process.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I have to just kind of set the backdrop here the culture wars in Tallahassee this past legislative session you know, essentially suck the oxygen out of the room. It was really hard for folks to point a light on other bills that were not quite as, as a vivacious as say the Disney Wars. And this definitely falls within that category. You know, the Senate Bill 540 pertains to local comprehensive plans. And and yet the passage of this bill, when Governor DeSantis signed it into law on May 24th, the reality is is that it's going to have more of an impact on Floridians' daily quality of life than almost all of the culture war issues, Um, specifically because it pertains to the things that Floridians have to face every single day, overcrowded schools, um, increased traffic on our uh, confined roadways, hurricane evacuation times, uh, the outright just destruction of our agricultural and rural lands across the state to accommodate sprawling residential development. All of these things come into play with the passage of Senate Bill 540 because citizens of Florida While they still can challenge an irresponsible and legally reckless comprehensive plan amendment that is initiated by a developer, the burden to do so and to actually prevail is, it's a tough burden. And so if they go ahead and take that financial risk, Um, They could basically be putting on the line their entire life savings. And if they lose, not only will they have to pay for the attorney's fees for the local government, but they would also have to pay for the attorney's fees of the developer's attorneys. And they frequently bill at astronomical rates that most Floridians simply would not be able to afford to engage in these sorts of challenges. For decades, uh, citizens in the state of Florida were able to bring these challenges, and and quite frankly, there, there are not very many challenges, comprehensive plan amendments throughout the state, but when they did, they had to bear the burden of paying for their own attorneys. Everyone had to pay for their own attorney fees, and this bill fundamentally shifted that um, onus onto the prevailing party gets to collect all the attorney fees from the non-prevailing party. So it's a, it's a significant shift. And it sounds kind of wonky in, in the land use uh, realm, but it's definitely going to have an effect on the daily quality of life for citizens across the state of Florida.
0: Jane, is it common for developers to join in with local governments when a proposed comprehensive plan change is is being challenged?
1: Absolutely. In fact, in in all my years of litigating these cases, I've never seen a developer not file for intervention party status in a comprehensive plan amendment change. And the reason they do that, the reason they so um, willingly and voluntarily jump into the risk of litigation is because it really is their project that's on the line, right? Um, So it's the local government that made the decision to approve of the development. So they're the initial party to the case, but it's, it's the developer that wants to make sure that uh, the local government properly defends against the challenge, so that there is a strong chance of prevailing. And so what you'll frequently see is very often when these cases go to a formal administrative hearing which is basically a a full-blown trial. You've got expert witnesses, lay witnesses, cross-examination, opening statements, you know, the whole shebang. Um, It's the developers that put on the expert witnesses and pay for uh, the expert witnesses to come forward. Very often, uh, local governments, they'll they'll play a role, but it it definitely is kind of a, a second chair role, so to speak, to the developer's project
0: how would you characterize the nature of these challenges? Um, And I know I'm speaking very broadly here because they could be, you know, as different as the proposals themselves. But, you know, I'm thinking in recent years past of citizen-led challenges where I am in Lee County to propose development on Fort Myers Beach and basically on the grounds of concern about how it would inversely impact the safe evacuation of visitors and residents in the event of a hurricane. Um,
1: yeah.
0: I mean, these aren't and, small things.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that one because that gets to the other facet on um, the very bad aspect of Senate Bill 540. So it it also, not only does it provide for prevailing party attorney fees and comp plan amendment challenges, but it also strips down the legal basis for a comprehensive plan amendment challenge. There's a split in between the Florida courts right now. Um, a split between Lee County and the second District Court of Appeals and then up in Walton County with the first District Court of Appeals. The Walton County case found that you could bring one of these consistency challenges on a myriad of of issues pertaining to the comp plan. So the particular case that you mentioned now had to do with the fact that imposing this high density development on a barrier island would have significantly impacted the hurricane evacuation times. Well, that falls under a a specific provision of a comprehensive plan. Um, Unfortunately, what this bill did is it really limited the scope of challenges to use and density and intensity only so under this new law you wouldn't have been able to even bring a challenge that uh, pertained to hurricane evacuation times. So it's, it's, a, it's a bad pill all the way around. And not surprisingly, the, the bill was sponsored by a developer attorney based out of Jacksonville with the Rogers Towers Law Firm. who they have significant uh, developer clients. So it's, it's not surprising the genesis of, of this particular legislation.
0: Jane, I'm curious about your own experience in Tallahassee, um, you know, during the process when this bill was being considered. I was reading a story from Florida Politics back in April. It mentioned you specifically urging a legislative panel to consider capping attorney fees at $10,000 or installing a one-way attorney fee statute. I mean, was that more or less an attempt at damage control? I'm not going to be able to stop this, but maybe we can lessen the damage a little
1: absolutely i i was scrambling this legislative session um speaking with legislative aides and lawmakers all over the capital trying to come up with creative approaches to um soften the blow of this you know blunt force bill and that included you know capping the attorney's fees um prohibiting those intervening developers from being able to Um, collect attorneys fees because they voluntarily subjected themselves to the litigation and they shouldn't be able to financially benefit as such. Um, So yeah, I I tried uh, numerous different attempts to soften the blow of this bad bill, but um, in the end it it basically got pushed through mostly on uh, party line votes.
0: What's your response to supporters of this legislation who'd argue the public already has plenty of options to voice concerns about proposed amendment changes to comprehensive plans through public meetings? Or if they don't like what their local local elected officials are doing in regards to growth and development, they can just vote them out of office?
1: I I really wish it was that easy. But I I think we all know that that that's a very big lift. And in terms of the ability to have a voice about the comprehensive plan amendments before your local government of course there is an opportunity for a public hearing but most local governments throughout the state of florida have pretty tight time restrictions on those public speaking slots uh, for those challenges so you're often limited Um, to three minutes, five minutes of public speaking time. And quite frankly, that just is not enough time uh, in order to rebut the the very complex details when it comes to some of these mega sprawl developments.
0: Did DeSantis' support for this measure or the measure itself kind of feel like it came out of left field? And by that, I'm again referencing that executive order DeSantis signed back in January. When I read the language of that and then I read about what this bill is doing, It's, it's just direct contradiction
1: it's a completely a direct contradiction. And that disconnect has been a head scratcher this entire legislative session, you know, when Governor DeSantis came out with that executive order um, back in January, you know, directing agencies and local governments to improve local government, long-term comprehensive planning. I was so excited to see that language. I'm like, yes, finally, we're gonna get back on track with smart long-term planning for the state of Florida. and. You know, you, you did see that backed up with significant funding for all the programs that you mentioned, although Roland Family Lands uh, did get a, a veto cut for their 100 million. Um, but then you, you have this kind of legislation that completely undermines not only the governor's executive order, but really the underlying intent for all the funding for things like the Florida Wildlife Corridor. Even if you were able to acquire all the lands within the Florida Wildlife Corridor, that still leaves a lot of development pressure right up against those corridor project areas, so we we have to be a lot smarter about how we continue to grow in in this state, and this bill just really um, took a, a deep cut into that effort.
0: Is this law going to change or, or perhaps tie the hands of organizations like 1000 Friends of Florida when it comes to how you might approach filing litigation in the future?
1: No, actually, I think it for us, I think it causes a a significant paradigm shift in really ramping up our efforts to educate uh, local government elected officials on the, the significant nature of the decisions that they make almost on a monthly basis. Now, if you take a look at. Um, the agendas, especially for a lot of rural counties, you know, they are really facing these development pressures. You know, Take a look at at Lake County, for example, facing development pressures from not only the villages, but from Orlando. That sprawl is really bumping up into uh, what had been a pretty rural county until a couple years ago. Um, and so they're faced with all of these decisions, and, and yet many times um, local government officials just don't have that planning background um, to make these fiscally prudent and environmentally sound decisions um, for their community. And so I, I really think it's it's kind of the responsibility of organizations like ours, A Thousand Friends of Florida, to really step in at this critical time um, where we're, <laughs> we're facing a, an existential crisis in terms of how we manage our growth in the state. Um, So we have to step up our game and educate our elected officials um, on the planning process, on the fiscal impacts of the decisions that those elected officials make. Because at the end of the day, sprawl is really expensive. Those rooftops do not generate the long-term income that those local governments need in order to thrive and provide the critical infrastructure like roads, schools um, utilities and fire rescue. So it's, it's on us to educate them. So it's, it's a, it's a game changer.
0: Paul Owens, president of 1000 Friends of Florida recently wrote an op ed that singles out Miami-Dade County as a location where this new law will have, in his words, a chilling effect. Um, why do you guys think Miami-Dade County in particular, um, stands to be hurt by this?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So down in Miami-Dade, um, you, you have significant development pressure outside of the urban development boundary. Um, so basically pushing right up against um, critical Everglades restoration areas. And the, the development pressure is significant. And without the ability for organizations or individuals to challenge these reckless and irresponsible developments, there's a very good chance that they can go through and that would jeopardize um, basically the comprehensive Everglades restoration project and billions have been funneled into that project. So again, you've got a real disconnect between um, what the governor has stated that he wants in terms of Everglades restoration, where the money is being allocated, and then undermining all of those efforts with the passage of this really reckless uh, piece of legislation.
0: Earlier in our conversation, you had referenced a lot of the culture war red meat issue legislative uh, proposals that had really garnered most of the attention. Um but we're also seeing in the wake of the legislative session a lot of those measures being challenged and federal judges issuing preliminary injunctions. Is there any hope on your end of, of challenging this measure?
1: No, we we don't see a basis for a constitutional challenge to Senate Bill 540. A very similar piece of legislation was passed back in 2019, House Bill 7103, which uh, provided for prevailing party attorney fees in development order challenges. So that's things like rezonings and variances. And that had a significant chilling effect at, at that time. A thousand friends of Florida stepped up to the plate and filed a legal challenge to the constitutionality of 7103. And unfortunately, that case was dismissed by a Leon County Circuit Court judge. Um, the, this particular bill is similar enough to 7103 that we did not think that there was a, a viable cause of action for a constitutional challenge to this law.
0: But what's been the result of that law that you mentioned from about four years ago? I mean, challenges have pretty much stopped.
1: It it did. I mean, it it left um, the only challenges left were comprehensive plan amendment challenges, right? Um, So that had a significant chilling effect on the ability for citizens to engage in challenging, again, reckless and uh, legally irresponsible development orders. Um, so we have seen the uh, effect here. We know how this plays out. It does have a chilling effect. This isn't just um, us hypothesizing about this. We, we have seen what happened in the wake of the passage of 7103. So we know what's coming, which is why uh, we are taking these steps now to, to pivot towards educating our elected officials.
0: And as you know, when when widely impactful pieces of legislation like this are signed into law by the governor, typically such bill signings are leveraged as PR opportunities. There's a big ceremony. They invite the media. That didn't happen when DeSantis signed this bill into law. What are we to make of that?
1: No, this bill was signed um, literally a couple of hours before he announced his his run for uh, presidency. So it it was kind of tucked into the background of you know this much larger media event, which obviously garnered all the attention. So. The signing of this bill just faded into the background uh, and just did did not capture the attention that it really did warrant. And I I do think that was probably intentional.
0: If you're just joining the show, I'm exploring how issues concerning the environment and smart growth planning fared in this year's Florida legislative session in a conversation with Jane West. She's the policy and planning director for the state's leading nonprofit smart growth advocacy organization, 1000 Friends of Florida. If you would like to comment on our conversation or engage with fellow listeners, again, you can find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media or on Twitter. We're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. I wanted to switch gears a bit and talk about this new preemption law impacting local fertilizer ordinances. A lot of environmental advocacy groups urge DeSantis to veto this measure. What can you tell us about what this does?
1: yes and a thousand friends of florida joined in that veto campaign request and uh, that bill has not been signed into law yet but basically it was a measure by the fertilizer industry to Uh, put the brakes on the ability for local governments to pass fertilizer regulations for a period of one year. The concern within the environmental community is that this is just a a little bite at the apple and next session they're, they're going to go for the whole shebang and completely preempt the ability for local governments to regulate fertilizer application. This is really problematic in a state that is facing Um, historic blue-green algae outbreaks, red tide outbreaks, um, impaired water quality in various uh, significant water bodies across the state from our springs to the Indian River Lagoon. So this this was a a very short-sighted bill um, that was pushed by the fertilizer industry. And we are sincerely hoping that um, the governor, given the amount, the millions and millions of dollars that are going towards things like Everglades restoration in the Indian River Lagoon, um, would veto this bad bill.
0: And this, as I understand it, the the preemption provision was kind of just slipped into an implementing bill. It didn't go through the committee process. People right. didn't really have an opportunity to raise any questions about it.
1: That That's right. Uh, it was tucked in. Um, there were no committee stops for this particular provision. Um, so it's you know it's very behind the scenes. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, but kind of classic Tallahassee. Uh, but it really has wide-ranging implications. Um, This is not the time to rest on our laurels when it comes to Florida's impaired water quality. We need to be going in the opposite direction and giving local governments the ability to have home rule on this and many other issues. We've seen a a very aggressive power grab by the state in recent years, taking away the ability for local governments to um, be responsive to the needs of their community. Um, by through all these preemption measures. And this is just one more in a very long list of preemption measures that really need to stop. It's, it's very hard for a local government to be responsive to the needs of their citizens and their unique community needs when their home rule abilities are being taken away by the state.
0: Yeah. Um, can we talk about the part of this measure that's going to fund a $250,000 study to examine the efficacy of current local fertilizer use restrictions on lessening the impacts of harmful algal blooms. Because i got to tell you, Jane, I, I, I've been covering these kinds of issues in southwest Florida for close to two decades. I've never spoken to a credible source who questioned the scientific connection between nutrient-laden stormwater runoff and the exacerbation of harmful algal blooms. This is settled science.
1: It, it, it is. And look, there, there are numerous factors that are contributing to our impaired water quality. Um, I'll be the first to admit that it's a combination of factors, um, including, you know, us failing septic tanks. But at the end of the day, we, we cannot ignore the the impacts that increases in um, fertilizer are going to have on our, our waterways and nitrogen and phosphorus um, have a very direct link, um, to impaired waterways in the state of Florida. Um, and that is known science. So to, to work into this, this, this study to study something that has been studied many, many times over, um, is, is really kind of a head scratcher.
0: And switching gears again before we wrap things up, there's $300 million in the state budget to plan for sea level rise. Uh, What I've been hearing in recent years from professors of environmental studies here at Florida Gulf Coast University is that – Desantis's administration's approach to climate change and sea level rise has been all about adaptation, but not actual mitigation. In other words, putting money towards infrastructure to adapt to rising seas without actually doing anything to address the causes. Is that pretty much what we're seeing with this funding in the coming fiscal year?
1: Yeah, I think that's a fair categorization of of how uh, the resiliency grant funding opportunities are being made available. It's for Um, adaptation measures, but um, not mitigating um, the the carbon (laughs) at its source. So absolutely, that's correct.
0: Well, are there any other significant takeaways from this year's state legislative session our listeners should be aware of pertaining to impacts on smart growth planning or environmental restoration and preservation?
1: Well, you know, um, Governor DeSantis said that there was hardly any meat left on the bone after this session, meaning he accomplished um, the majority of his objectives in a a stunning uh, sweep. And so it will be interesting to see you know what what is left um, to to damage uh, in this next upcoming session, which is really right around the corner. The committee weeks start as early as September eighteenth, um, so we're gearing up, and it will be interesting to see, you know, how the governor is going to balance his bid for the presidency um, while the supermajority Republican held uh, House and Senate move forward with their respective agendas. It should make for an interesting session, and I'm curious to see how they're going to lay out their priorities and if um, they are going to likewise have the same emphasis that Governor DeSantis did in his executive order, at least, about improving local government long-term comprehensive planning. How are they going to accomplish that mission? Um, It does still stand as an executive order, and we certainly would like to see it implemented.
0: All right. Well, as you said, 2024 sessions closer than we think. Uh, That is all the time we have for today's show. But I want to thank my guest. I've been speaking with attorney and director of policy and planning for Florida's leading nonprofit smart growth advocacy organization, 1000 Friends of Florida, Jane West. Great to reconnect with you. Thanks so much for taking the time and sharing your insights. Thank you. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or you can subscribe to our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director is Richard Chinqui. For now, thanks for listening. I'm John Davis. This is WGCU-FM, Fort Myers 90.1, WMKO, Marco Island 91.7 FM, and PR for Southwest Florida. Thank mm-hmm. you.